Alrighty, welcome back to You Know What I've Been Wondering. I'm Sarah. I'm Jane. You may be wondering, <laughs> where were you guys? <laughs> or maybe you're not. Like, I don't know how important I am in your life. Aaron missed us. Aaron, did he text you that? <laughs> no, but I feel you're like if assuming. anybody noticed, he would. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so there was no episode last week because Wednesday morning when I went to export the episode, I realized I hadn't done our end bit where we plug our social media. So I go into an old episode like I've done before <laughs> and I to copy and paste it back in and I reopen episode 62 and it's just gone. Apparently your laptop, if you didn't know, can do this thing where it recognizes that some files have the same name, in which case our audio track was titled untitled number one underscore one. And another episode oh. also has that title. And it was just like, okay, those are the same thing. Don't know why. <laughs> so it, like, deletes one. I have no idea what triggered it. I don't know why it happens. That is what happened. But I cannot figure out what I did to cause that merge yeah. to happen. Um, it was terrible. That happened Wednesday morning. And I was like, forget it. We'll release two next week. Mm-hmm. So here you are. You get a double feature. Yeah. And it was a bummer because I thought we did. it was a really good episode. I know, and, like, we'd already both, ed- like, yeah, fully both edited. The it's good that, like, it was it. a short episode. Like, if that had happened to the Poland episode, oh my I would have lost my mind. I, like, really would have. Like, like, no, the, the episode already recording it was under an hour. It was, like, 53 minutes when we stopped recording. So, thankfully, it wasn't, like, you know, some like, the Vietnam episode, something that was, like, really, really heavy yeah. and long. Um, what's the one episode that we recorded three times? Um, was it? Oh, it wasn't. It was the episode that we had Laurel. It was Nicholas Flamel. We had Laurel over and she did her thing about werewolves. And then I did my thing about Nicholas Flamel and we recorded it once and something happened and we like only got Laurel. So we were like, okay, we'll just re-record Nicholas Flamel. And then it happened again. And like, you were like. (laughs) I could present this research. <laughs> I knew about Nicholas yeah. life. We'll never forget him. So it wasn't that bad. This is only take two. And hopefully <laughs> our second take will be our last. But boy. <laughs> <laughs> and Nicholas Flamel, again, was a really short topic. Like Yeah. Like the the time it took to redo it wasn't, wasn't that, that terrible. Much, no. But it, it was, was just the fact that we the, had to do it so yeah. many times. Yeah. <laughs> and you had to keep you reacted very differently to different things each time. I did. But you, yes, but you were trying. Like it was it's good because we both say that we forget the what we say really quickly. Yeah. And so like I have key facts from everything you've told me that stick out, but I definitely would never be able to recap anything you say in totality, like Same. ever. Um so when people ask me, they're like, What's something you covered? And I'll be like, oh, we covered the Black Knight satellite. And I'll be like, what's that? The only thing I can yeah. remember is that it floats in space and it's creepy. Like, you know. Where did it come from? But the Nicholas Flamel episode. Where does it sometimes go? <laughs> Nicholas Flamel, you like tried to recreate your actions to things, but then there were things that like hit you totally different. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty funny. So I hope the same thing happens today. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my, my wish for this moment that we are in. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, are you ready to jump in get started jump on it. yeah this but- was interesting i'm happy to learn about this yeah. twice this is a very tech heavy episode it is it is yeah but i learned a lot my segment is about 
tech of the past. Well, not all tech no. of the past, but <laughs> photography. The history of photography. I was like, wait, you changed it? Yeah. <laughs> Scrap photography. Last week, you were like, forget it. The people don't need it. This actually helped me yesterday at our town's Memorial Day parade. My mom and her boyfriend were like the official photographers, so I got roped into being a photographer too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really know anything except like point and shoot. Yeah. So, but they were like, change the aperture. And I was like... I think I vaguely know what that means. I didn't know how to do it, but well, it was the funny so cool. thing is, when I was doing my research, at one point I found the like point where the ability to change aperture was invented and was like released in the camera. And when I was reading that, I was like, no one's gonna know what aperture is. And I, or I, I looked it up and it's like, oh, that's just brightness. I'm just gonna say brightness. So I, last week I said brightness. Yeah. And then yesterday I heard you and your mom talking about aperture, and I was like, oh, I should say aperture. <laughs> Things we learn. Things we learn. Aperture. This is the only photography thing I can contribute. Aperture isn't just brightness. It's a little. I think it's literally the amount of light being let into the camera, mm-hmm. which is different than brightness because yeah. brightness is an outer thing. And aperture is an internal thing. It's like the size of the hole, literally. You know? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I was picturing, yeah. like, windows shutters. Mm-hmm. Like, the setting at which you, how, how much mm-hmm. you have them open. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. brightness is the amount of light that comes, comes through. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good comparison. Yeah. So let's just start talking about cameras again. Sure. So the basic concept of photography has actually been around since 5th century BCE. Wow. So long. I know. That was shocking to us the first time we learned that. There's one fact in here I remember vividly and I know I'm going to react the same way. Cool. It's the one thing stuck in my mind. I'm, look, I'm looking forward to it. Great. Can't mm-hmm. wait. Now, what actually is a camera mm-hmm. and what we mean by photography? Mm-hmm. A ca- all a camera is is a box that controls the amount of light which reaches a light-sensitive surface on the inside, such as a film, a digital sensor, or another surface, such mm-hmm. as like a wall. Yeah. I actually made a camera in my physics for life class at Muhlenberg College. Uh, all it really was was like a box with a hole. We looked through. We could see the like tree in the window behind us. It was mm-hmm. cool. Because all a picture really is is like a freeze frame of an area of like light. Because yeah. all an image is is a composition of light. It's true. Let's focus on that, shall we? Let's go back to Let's. when we were talking about colors and our eyes and picking up things. Oh, okay. I hated that. <laughs> you did. You did. We won't talk about it. Okay. okay. So in the year 1021, uh-huh. an Iraqi scientist developed something called the Camera Obscura. Okay. Now, the Camera Obscura was basically like a big square tent, uh-huh. like a cube-shaped tent. Yes. That had a hole on one side and it would project the image from outside the tent into the opposite wall on the inside of the tent. Okay. The images were upside down because that's how light rays travel. Yeah. They switch. And sometimes there would be a surface that you could draw on Mm -hmm. on that wall and people would trace the image to create a very accurate photorealistic drawing of the real object that the Do image was Do we taking. know when they figured out how to flip the image right side up? Well, I assume if you're tracing it, you can literally just... No, because it's a projection. No, but... Oh, when you trace once, it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like no, you no, take... I meant when they figured out how to get the projection right side up. I don't know if that is... I think it was just once cameras were invented, okay. they would literally like flip the image afterward, and eventually they would invent a thing that would do it on the inside. Just do it on the inside. Oh. Okay. Yeah. That was my question. Light, <laughs> like, like, light, they didn't invent anything that could change how light rays travel. No, like but I meant, still... like, a reflective, like, if they invented a reflective surface that would reflect it back in the correct way. Oh. That seems 
in the realm of possibility. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. It wasn't until 1685 that someone made a camera obscura that was small enough that it was portable. Uh Uh-huh. I don't think it was quite, like, handheld, but something that you could move. Okay. A camera obscura before you had to, like, build it. It was, like, a big tent. It was a permanent feature. Yeah. It wasn't, like, a pop-up tent we use now. (laughs) Yeah. Which, those... I feel like they've made them so much easier recently. Do you remember, like, trying to set a tent when you were, like, a little kid? Oh, yeah. It always seemed so hard. And the poles. You could never get the fabric around the poles. Oh, my God. No, I hated it. I I pitched a tent maybe twice, and every time I'm like, I never want to do this again. No interest. (laughs) At the same time that Uh they invented the portable camera obscura, they also added a basic early form of a lens to focus the light that was being produced and it created Mm. a clearer image slightly clearer i will say it still took a while for us to get some yeah some nice blurry for a while the year 1826 Mm -hmm. was when we got the world's first photograph joseph nisifor nips used a portable camera obscura Mm -hmm. and he took a rectangular pewter plate coated with bitumen Mm -hmm. And I put it on the inside, and the image burned. I think it sort of burned. Somehow the chemicals reacted so that the image stayed mm-hmm. on the plate. Oh, that's what you think of that song, Ali, that Ellie Nader song, Chemicals React. Such a good song. One time, that song's I, about cameras. <laughs> yeah. One time, my high school chemistry class told my chemistry teacher about that song, and she thought it was actually about chemistry. So she let. So she pulled let up the music it, video on YouTube. The music video, yeah. And she was like, "This isn't about science." <laughs> So, uh, what is bitumen, which was the thing that they put on the plate to make mm-hmm. the image? I was picturing, like, a liquid chemical, mm-hmm. but it's actually a black mixture of hydrocarbons obtained naturally or as a residue from petroleum distillation. Okay. And what we use it for is road surfacing and roofing. So, it's like oh, a black tar-looking yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The camera projected the image right onto the bitumen and the image was recorded it was very blurry i have a picture of it right here it's just some buildings but it looks really patchy and and it's like it's either dark or it's white (laughs) you know like it's not there's not a lot of dimension in terms of color and there is some there they're like they're gray parts but it's just that's like an effect like it's not oh those areas were a different shade like right it's truly like it's foggy or something yeah (laughs) yeah the success of Nieps was a huge breakthrough in the photography Inventions realm, world. and it allowed for a couple of advances to happen very quickly after that. Like once we figured that one thing out, we leveled up, you mm-hmm. know, and unlocked a level. Yeah. <laughs> There were three really big, important inventions right after that. One of them was when Nieps collaborated with Louis Daguerre to create a daguerreotype, which was a copper plate coated Mm -hmm. with silver, and right before the photograph is to be taken, it's exposed to iodine vapor. Okay. So it was a similar idea to a bitumen plate, Mm -hmm. but... Different chemicals. Different chemicals. And this was more used by many photographers of the time. It was more popular. would-be photographers. But the thing about daguerreotypes is that it has to be exposed to the light for up to 15 minutes. Oh. So you'd have to, like, stand still in front of the camera if you wanted your portrait taken for 15 minutes. It's really hard to stand still for, like, two minutes, let alone 15. Well, like, the slightest movement. Right. It causes blurriness, which I remember learning when I was little is why it's more common in older photographs and stuff for people to be frowning in there. Mm -hmm. 
pictures because it's just easier muscle wise to hold a frown for a very long period of time or a blank yeah. face yeah. than it is to hold a smile. We've and all been in that group photo sieve. that never ends and you're and like every mother yeah. is like, wait, now my turn for the camera and you're just like, my face hurts. <laughs> exactly. In the 1850s, they created the emulsion plate, mm-hmm. also known as the wet plate. You'll see why shortly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a lot cheaper than a doggero type, and it required only two or three seconds of exposure time, so it was much more efficient. Oh, yeah. Many photographs and portraits from the Civil War were produced with wet plates. Mm-hmm. The thing about wet plates, though, is that it kind of required a kind of, not complicated chemical process, but a chemical process that required equipment and right. a dark room. So photographers at the time, it was very common for them to have, like, a covered wagon that they yeah. would go around with, and the wagon was, was the, the dark, dark room. room. Cool. Yeah. I think that's cool. It makes photographers seem like they're, like, evil scientists or something. It does. Like, I've got this, like, chemistry set back there. <laughs> Which you tread an organ. Cartoons growing up made it seem like chemistry sets were such a thing, and you could be, like, mixing chemicals in your living it's room. It's true. I always wanted a chemistry set like that. Never got one. No, me neither. Oh, do you remember? There was this, like, toy chemistry set, and you could make slime <gasps> out of it. I remember it was advertised on Nickelodeon. I wanted it so bad. It was, like, it had all the beakers and the test tubes, oh. and then in the end, you would get, like, sticky slime, and it glowed in the dark, and it was so cool. I saw today, I was reading this thing that was about fun facts about, like, old Nickelodeon shows, Mm -hmm. and one of them was about how Dexter on Dexter's lab, I never even thought about why does Dexter have an accent? Oh, yeah. Like, that never occurred to me at all. Me and neither. literally the creators of the show were just like, it'd be funny if he had an accent because we associate scientists with people who have accents. Even Interesting. Though, even though no one else in his family has an accent. Oh, my God. That well, n- a non-American accent, I yeah. should say. That never occurred to but me. But he sounds, like, vaguely kind of German. <laughs> Dee Dee's an icon. I love her. Dee Dee gets in my laboratory! Love Nickelodeon. He's also vaguely, he's French, kind of. Anyway. Yeah. It's weird. Vaguely European. Okay. The chemical process that had to happen was the photograph would be coated and sensitized with the necessary chemicals in the darkroom, uh-huh. brought out, exposed to the image, and then brought back into the darkroom and developed. And this whole process took 15 minutes, but, like, you couldn't stop and do anything else. Right. You had to, like, get it all Move done quickly. right away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the 1870s, Richard Maddox invented dry gelatin plates okay. or dry plates. Okay. And these were chemical chemicals, but in a, like, gelatin mold form, and they could be stored and developed later, which was key. Mm-hmm. So you didn't have to have that whole process of rushing to develop a picture right away. Right. It also allowed for smaller cameras that could be handheld, because you didn't need to have a whole process. You could just capture the image, like, put the plate in your knapsack. Call Get day. another one. Yeah. Like, keep going. It also had an even smaller exposure time than the wet plates. Oh, that's nice. It, also, at this time, we got the first mechanical shutter on a camera mm-hmm. that would, like, open and close the little window really okay. quick. Instead of it being a person doing it. Yeah. Instead of, okay. like, lifting a square right. paper out of the way and then okay. putting it back. Yeah. At the time, photography was only something that could really be done by professionals who were hired and paid to do the service. Right. Or... It was something that was done by the very rich because all of the supplies that were needed to develop the photographs were really expensive and yeah. it required a lot of equipment. So it wasn't something that, like, the everyday person was doing. Uh, it wasn't until George 
Eastman started the company Kodak. Ah, we know it. Mm -hmm, In the 1880s, where the first commercial camera was sold, and it, it was more of a, like, middlingly expensive price. It was, like, more affordable to, like, I'd say middle class people. Yeah. Eastman created a flexible roll film mm-hmm. that did not require constantly changing the solid plates. That was, like, the, yeah. the like, ribbon that we mm-hmm. think of. And this camera that he was selling, it was very small. It had a small single lens with no focusing adjustments, and it contained 100 film exposures. Yeah. The consumer would take pictures with the camera and then send the entire camera back to the factory where the factory would develop the pictures and then and make prints and send them back to them which is something that lasted a while yeah. except you wouldn't have to go to a factory like kodak stores right yeah, yeah, yeah. or around you go to the kodak machine i remember that yes yes, <laughs> yes sometimes they would have them in like a cvs yeah the film I- itself was still like as i said kind of middlingly expensive so the way i'm going to describe it is like many families would have a camera but because the film itself was very expensive you weren't taking many pictures right. like maybe once a year you take a family pic right. or commemorate so major events yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah but it wasn't that like oh sense. we're all going to try we're our hand yeah, at photography yeah, we're on a and take a million pictures a picture. yeah which really makes you think that that guy with the daughter with the fairies he must have been rich oh yeah <laughs> What was what time period was that again? Um, it was the early 1900s. I'm pretty sure. I think they were relatively rich. I don't know because he was just like, take the camera. Yeah, like, you know, <laughs> like go take some it's photos. Fun. Yeah, it wasn't until but we found out that they put the fairies on the plates, so they were plates, right? Yes. So it was the time of plates, not rolls of film. Yeah. Well, also, I will say that uh, the film that we had back then was much bigger. Like, yeah. we have, like, ribbons of very small squares because right. the image could be, like, made small and then made big again. Right. These plates were, like, full size. So, like, it was large. And that was part of why they why it was more expensive because it required more of the mm-hmm. film material yeah. to yeah, make. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't until the late 1940s that the 35 millimeter film that the we, that one, we know yeah. was popularized and became cheap enough for the majority of consumers to mm-hmm. use regularly. Around 1930, um, this guy's French, so I'm assuming his name is pronounced Henri. Ooh. He was a photographer, Henri Cartier-Brenson, and he began to capture candid images rather than staged portraits. Mm-hmm. That was really not that common. Because again, you know, let's take a picture isn't something you can just do. It's like, okay, it's an Everybody event. Everybody you know? <laughs> And most pictures before them were portraits. There had been a lot of World War One portraits taken of soldiers yeah. and military groups. But World War Two was really the first war that photographers captured as it was happening Mm -hmm. and many graphic images of combat and the aftermath were taken and sent back to america and it it was the first time that photography was really used as a means to galvanize the american public yeah show them the atrocities of war that's happening and yeah have them have more just a, a strong opinion and stance of what was going on uh, one very famous photograph of the time that was taken was by Joel Rosenthal called Raising the Flag of Iwo Jima, mm-hmm. on Iwo Jima, excuse mm-hmm. me. And this is the picture that would yeah, become the, the statue, statue yeah. in D.C. I said this last time, but my grandfather was a photographer in World War II. He was a medic, but he also like yes. took photos, and we have many, many of his photographs. Yes. Some are pretty, and some are terrifying. In <laughs> <laughs> a nice mix. The pretty ones are nice. They're around. Yeah, he. we have a whole bunch hanging around the house. We have, like, a frame that's a bunch that he took of Paris mm-hmm. that are, like, 
you they actually look like stock photos like yeah. they don't look I like, thought they were stock photos when I first saw yeah. them yeah so Jane was like all right they just left stock photos in the frame <laughs> but they're not they're uh-huh, from World uh-huh. War II <laughs> and they look they're very good quality photos they are they're very sold. high quality I'm I wouldn't have shocked. known that they were taken so long ago yeah me neither now at the same time that the 35 millimeter cameras were becoming popular, the company Polaroid introduced the Model 95 Ooh. camera. Now, this is the the Polaroid camera we think of. Yeah, the square know, one. The square one that you take the picture and boxy it prints and out cute. a thing yeah. and it develops right there. Yeah, boxy and cute. Yeah, very cute. Very fun. They used a secret chemical process to develop the film inside the camera in less than a minute. Now, this was like revolutionary people people thought it was so cool yeah which we still do it is cool um it was the first time we had instant image development and when it was first created it was very expensive probably Mm -hmm. just everyone wanted it but then as the company grew and expanded they created a bunch of different models uh and they put a bunch on the market and prices dropped so more people could afford them i'm sure there were some more expensive models but there were like also cheaper models you could buy yeah so everybody had a polaroid camera it was a huge thing it was really cool but here's the kicker, which I thought this was nuts, and I think this is the thing you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, this is like the only in two thousand eight. Polaroid now. stopped making their famous instant film and took their secrets with them. They were like, <laughs> "We're not doing this anymore, and we're not telling you how to do it." Bye. I love that. It's a power move, and I love it. And to this day, we still don't know what their chemical process was. I'm sure there are people that are suspicious of what it is, but we don't know for sure. Yeah. And there have been several groups, such as um, The Impossible Project and Lomography, who have tried to recreate Polaroid cameras. And Mm -hmm. there's been mixed success. And there are some instant developed cameras out there that work very well and create the same effect as the early Polaroid. But we will have no way of knowing if that is the same one if it's close but not exactly it could be even better than the original polaroid right but it's just this mystery that's crazy to me that we'll never know how they did it that is crazy in the 1950s two japanese companies asahi which would later be renamed pentax Mm -hmm. and then nikon they introduced the slr cameras which is a single lens reflex camera and for the next 30 years, even today, SLR-style cameras are the types of cameras that professional photographers use. Yeah. It's the type of camera of choice. It still didn't have, like, things like zoom or focus yet, but that was the type of, like, lens they were using. The Nikon F camera was cool because it had interchangeable lenses that you could get. And there were also, like, accessories that you could buy, like a strap to put around your neck, a tripod, things like that, which later more companies would also do for their cameras. But Mm -hmm. Nikon was the first. In the late 70s and 80s, compact cameras were produced that allowed the photographer to change settings like shutter speed, focus, and aperture. There we go. (laughs) But it wasn't until the 80s and the 90s that manufacturers were working on cameras that could store the image digitally and electronically rather than on film. And thus, the digital camera was born. There she is. In 1991, the first professional digital camera was produced, which we had digital cameras and now there were digital cameras that professional photographers thought were high quality enough to use as their main tool yeah kodak was the first to do this but canon nikon pentax and other camera companies were quick to follow and in the year 2000 we got the first camera phone Mm -hmm. 
It was on like a flip phone. The pictures taken were very poor quality. Well, I guess compared to now. I think at the time we were like, look. Yeah, I'm sure everyone was very excited. (laughs) Look at this picture that I can post on my MySpace. (laughs) I don't think even MySpace existed yet. I will say that professional photographers still like they're not just using iPhones. Mm -hmm. Although I like phone cameras and cameras in not just iPhones, but multiple types of smartphones are becoming so much better in quality. There have been several films lately, I think, that have been made with smartphones. But my Mm -hmm. point is that professional photographers still prefer to use actual cameras. Yeah. But they are saying that the quality of camera within phones is getting very good. Yeah. It's getting, like, comparable to an actual camera. Yeah. So it's cool that something that used to be something that only rich people could do and it was only for portraits now is something that we have such instant access to in our pockets and so many people have and mm-hmm. we we take pictures of the dumbest things like <laughs> i remember so vividly when i got the iphone 10 and portrait mode like oh. i was like i've unlocked a new world yeah. i literally i took you up yes. into the roof of our building in harlem and i was like we're taking selfies mm-hmm. because i was just so shocked i remember that day it was great. I got a lot of good selfies that day. <laughs> I looked really good. You did. Um, I I know. I remember that so vividly when that happened. I also, I told this anecdote last time, but I went to Europe. I've studied abroad in Europe twice, in 2016 uh-huh. and 2018. When I went for the first time in 2016, I had, I had an iPhone 5C, mm-hmm. um, which is the one that had the plastic case and it was a color. <laughs> um, and I took most of my photos on that. And then I went back back in 2018 with my iPhone 10 which like if you think about it I skipped yeah. five phones yeah I mean there wasn't a nine so I skipped four phones but still why wasn't there a nine there just wasn't <laughs> I hate that yeah there just wasn't a nine I came back to I had my I took my iPhone X I have photos of literally the exact same thing two years apart and the quality difference is out of this That's, world yeah like, the color, the aperture, like, the amount of blurriness, the, like, what I call fogginess. It's mm-hmm. crazy to me. And I thought I thought my photos from when I was abroad in 2016 were, like, great. I was yeah. like, look at these cool photos yeah. I'm getting. Now I'm like, doesn't hold a candle. Like, <laughs> <laughs> don't even show me those photos. Terrible. Um, that's a lie. I have them literally all Cave over the wall. Cave drawings. I have them all over the wall we're looking at. So <laughs> I don't, I clearly, I don't. They're beautiful. Them. They're beautiful. Um, these are, but they're all edited to, uh, to add color, whatever. Like uh-huh. it's really, it's really insane. The difference that two years, I mean, the 5C came out originally, I, I think 2014 or 15. Mm-hmm. And by the time I was abroad, I think the iPhone 7 was coming out. So I already was like behind on phones. But I, it's still shocking to me mm-hmm. the difference two years can make in the world of photography. It's true. Um, the other anecdote that we tell about cell phone cameras is that whenever Jean takes photos, <laughs> I, like, notice that they were blurry or that the, like... And I thought maybe it was just because normally when I take a photo, I move closer to something instead of zooming because I know zooming, like makes it a little blurrier and I was like maybe Jane just zooms really far yeah and, and like that's fine but then one day I would like she was taking photos she was showing me a photo of our cat Felix and I was like <laughs> why does it look like that like wh- like that looks so we have the same phone the exact same phone why does her photo look like like the- there's too much light coming in it's blurry the colors aren't very bright so I was like give me your phone Jane and I took it and I just took my shirt and I wiped off <laughs> the lens 
and she opened the camera and she goes it was like what <laughs> it was like day and night it was crazy so this is your reminder to clean, clean your, cam- your camera, camera lens on your um phone it's very important and it'll help the quality of your photos um mm-hmm. <laughs> she was shocked anyway is that everything on photography it is great what else do you got well i have the middle segment this week yeah and i initially when i found this topic was looking for something to talk about that was a little upbeat you Mm -hmm. know something that would give us a little hope in this hard hard world world. (laughs) i think we're doing okay (laughs) we're doing fine it's fine pocahontas Anyway, I found this website called the Good News Network, and I found an article where they were talking about that the U.S. has approved a plan to build the nation's largest solar project in the desert uh, by 2020. In the desert of, of Nevada. Nevada? Okay. Yeah. It's going to be like 30 miles away from Las Vegas. Oh. And it's going to... The construction costs are estimated to be $1 billion, but... Once it's all built and together, it could offset the greenhouse emissions of potentially 83,000 cars, or it could fuel, a, like, a large number of homes, potentially. So it seems like it's a, a project that's really uh, cool that it's in development, and the fact that the government approved it just gives me, like, a little beacon of hope that even when we have this horrible government right now, and the, right. the sky's president, somehow we can still, like... Right. Get little green victories in every yeah. now and then, you know? Yeah. That is a nice little green victory. So, I was reading this article, and it really made me think about solar energy, you mm-hmm. know? And it made me think of this video that you and I both independently <laughs> discovered on Facebook. <laughs> years before we knew each other. Years before we even met. <laughs> and both of us had the exact same experience, <laughs> and later we discovered through discussion that that we both had case. watched it and, and had the exact same thought process. And that was there was this video on Facebook that was about this invention called solar roadways. And it was literally these scientists and this one guy who had created these like hexagonal solar panels that were really thick and durable. Mm-hmm. And he had covered his driveway in them. And he like showed that you could drive a car in them and they could take a lot of weight. Yeah. And so they came up with this idea for this big project where we literally cover every road, every highway, every bit of pavement in the world, every parking lot with solar panels. Yeah. And we could make them really, like, technologically efficient, have them, like, Light be able up. to sense yeah. temperature, be, like, self-automating, yeah. be able to display messages. It's And it would be such a big project that it would require a lot of employment. Mm-hmm. It would require a lot of people to go into engineering yeah. and make a, have, like, a big STEM boost in the world. Yeah. It, it seemed like it would just be the perfect thing and it would, like, solve global warming based on what they right. were, like. And both of us were literally, like, cool. We fixed it. We fixed it. <laughs> we found the solution. Yeah. We've done it. And then years went by and we were like, wait, why didn't they ever do that? <laughs> it's true. Weren't they? One day, like, randomly you turned to me and you were like, you know what I'm wondering? And I'm like, what? And you're like, there was this video and it was about solar roadways. And I just, like, screamed. I was like, what happened to that? <laughs> I was, we were both suddenly emphatic about it. We were like, I thought we fixed it. it. Well, the thing about them is 
people really liked them as an idea because they would they would be flat, they'd be even, they'd be stable. They we could make them so that they were good for traction, which might even make the road safer. Yeah. Um, they could be durable, and that would just make travel easier. Yeah. Um, but there were a couple of like downsides that made people really hesitant, mm-hmm. and that is that they were worried that they wouldn't be stable, mm-hmm. that they could be easily broken, they wouldn't be durable. They were worried that they actually wouldn't have very good traction, so it mm-hmm. would be easy for cars to like slide on them. Yeah. Um, they were worried that they might not be able to function if there was like any amount of shadow on them so that would that mean that we couldn't have trees around roads or like right. houses around roads right and so people were really worried about them actually working so a couple of countries actually decided to try it mm-hmm. and have like a single road that they would test the idea on mm-hmm. they tested it in normandy france in 2016 normandy. um yeah <laughs> Oh, it's a pot of mattress. Beautiful. <laughs> um, they had, they were really excited to try this. They had high hopes. They were like, this is going to change the world. They were like, we're, what you and me were yeah. thinking. <laughs> and there was like a lot of media coverage surrounding it when they opened the road and when they were like, first like, here we did it. But it didn't go really well. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> it broke really quickly. Um, there were a lot of, it couldn't really handle like having like leaves falling on it and sticking to it like, uh. yeah, like the like wet you know how like leaves fall and then it rains yeah like the, and then they would stick to it and it, yeah. it, it, it didn't go and then <laughs> the noise are really noisy when driven on at high speeds so the fastest you could like possibly drive on it that it was like doable was 43 miles per hour okay which is not fat. Like no, it's that's not that it's fast. like driving through a neighborhood. I mean, if you're going through a neighborhood, that, then yeah. that's too fast. But yeah. if you're trying to do a highway, that's way too slow. Yeah, way too slow. And also, it broke apart really quickly. In Oops. 2018, which is just two years after the initial installation, they had to demolish like almost half of it because it was in such disrepair and had fallen apart and was like unsalvageable. And then in 2019, the like, the rest of it was scrapped because it just was not working. It mm-hmm. was bad. So, R.I.P. the one in Normandy. Um, they also tried it out in the Netherlands in 2014, uh, but the, it wasn't, like, a full road that they tried. They just tried, like, a bike road, mm-hmm. which seems like a, a you know, like, a, a fun little project. Yeah. But, you know, it's similar results. It started um, falling around. They kept having to replace the top layer coating, um, and it just didn't work. So, R.I.P. Um, they tried it in China. It didn't really work. So, that whole idea doesn't look like it's anywhere near there. But I will say that a project that has sort of sprung from this, mm-hmm. that is a little less... Ambitious. Ambitious. That's Yes, yeah. that's exactly the word I was looking for. This guy has invented solar panels that you can put, like, in the pavement... Mm-hmm. Like, you can cut out, like, a square in your driveway. Okay. And install that the seems solar reasonable. panels. Yeah. So you could have a potentially solar driveway. Now, the whole thing might not be covered, but it would be, like, a large area, and it could be enough to either power your home or fully charge an electric car. Oh, that's now, cool. That's the kicker. So if we encourage a lot of people to install solar driveways yeah it might be something that could really help us cut down on carbon emissions and yeah. gasoline burning and because we would all be switching to electric cars it's still kind of an ambitious project i think right but i like that they were like okay that's solar roadways big project not gonna work let's try something smaller, smaller. yeah um little means of progress you know? yeah i would do that 
I do now I want a solar driveway. Yeah, that's a very cool idea. Alrighty, is that everything on solar roadways? It is. Okay, so let us now venture into the future. <gasps> I will be talking about inventions of the near future. Great. Now, I excited. did get all of this from one BBC article. I didn't really branch out because many articles I was reading talking about future inventions were very speculative. Um, it was like, wouldn't it be cool if we had this? Or someone has proposed this idea. Whereas mm. this article, it gave me every time, like, the person or company or institution mm -hmm. that was researching and working on this. So these are actual, like, tangible things that are happening. Mm -hmm. Not just like, wouldn't it be amazing if we got a car to float? Like, which yeah. is what a lot of the articles I was finding were. Mm -hmm. um, so this is just a list of some cool inventions coming our way. It was only published two weeks ago, so Ooh. up to date. First invention. The engineers at University of Glasgow have invented... <laughs> the engineers, like the whole thing. No, some engineers <laughs> um, at University of Glasgow have invented a watch that's powered by sweat. This invention is significant because batteries are cheaply made but they're not sustainable uh -huh. so by using sweat you're using something that like you produce yourself um more friendly for the environment it's, they're made specifically for like kind of workout watches not uh -huh. really your typical like watch okay. that a businessman would wear um <laughs> but like a sports watch mm, sweat's gross it is a team of scientists at university school yeah <laughs> I love it. Well, it's not like you're touching the sweat. Like, it literally is the sweat that builds up yeah. between your wrist and the back of my watch. Like, it's like what's happening on my watch right now, except we're using it for good. Um, <laughs> a team of scientists at University of Colorado Boulder have developed what they call, quote, living concrete. The building material is made of sand, gel, and bacteria and is capable of self-healing. Self so, if it was broken, it would repair itself, um, which is, like, safer and less... Uh, yeah. It takes less time because, like, if something in your building breaks, you got to smash a wall open. You got to get yeah. in there. This is also more environmentally environmentally friendly than concrete, which is the second most consu consumed material on Earth after water, which I did not know. Oh. Someone recently said that goat was, like, the most eaten meat in the world. Goat? And that shook me. And I don't know if that's true. I'm going to look that up later. But I was well, like, what? we don't eat goat a lot in America, but you have to remember Other that countries. India, one of the most populous countries, I think the most populous country in the world doesn't eat beef. Mmm. But they eat goat a lot. Yeah. So I think that's why. Probably. Also, um, beef is not a kosher meat. Mm -hmm. No, pork's not a kosher meat. Beef is a there kosher you go. <laughs> meat. Pork is not a kosher meat. Um, so many countries that keep kosher, goat is very popular because it's kosher. Even though we're not running around America eating goats, I'm not surprised other <laughs> countries are. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now I'm just thinking about videos of fainting goats. They're so funny. Oh, they're so funny when and they make me sad. I know. It's kind of mean. It's kind of, it's not, it's not kind of mean. It is mean, but it's very funny. So that's about living concrete. The only thing that worries me about that is, is that going to take away jobs from construction workers? I was just thinking that. I don't know. It's really hard to tell. It's Everything. Like the opposite of solar roadways. Every, every action has its equal opposite, opposite reaction. reaction. So when you create a lot of tech jobs, what is that going to do for the workers? You know, the um, laborers, right? Yeah. Like there's. And are they going to have to pay for education to become right? Exactly, they're not yeah. serving the sa the people with the same skill set. Mm -hmm. At the University of Vermont, Joshua Bongard, who is a computer scientist, has developed robots from stem cells of frog embryos. <gasps> that means that these are considered living robots. 
These robots are designed to be in the human body <gasps> to act as medication. They're not the medication themselves. They're there to deliver medication and could gather microplastics in the ocean as well. Okay, that's good. Yeah. I know the thought of a living robot in your body is uncomfortable, but it's literally just a way to, like, manage the whatever's going on in your body that requires medication on a very, like, immediate level. I know it's useful, but my brain is like, you're gonna put a frog robot in me. They're, like, they're they're microscopic. You can't even see it. Yeah, but I'll know. But you won't feel it. But I'll know. (laughs) Okay. Researchers at- So cool, though. Cool, good job. Cool, cool invention you found. Researchers, when I was editing this the last time, after every single invention, I said, so that's cool. <laughs> okay, I think we've settled that it's cool. So I'm not going to say it this time. Okay. Researchers at Northwestern University have developed a prototype VR that adds touch capabilities. Essentially, it's like a jacket that you put on. Oh. Um, and so if you're playing a video game, you would wear, sent this. there would be sensors on this light jacket. So if your character was hit in game, you would feel it in the corresponding area. Like, they can't replicate mm. pain sensors. Like, it's not their, uh, that would be with your brain. But it literally is just the sensation of, like, being touched. Mm-hmm. Which I think is cool. Yeah, if we had the pain sensor one, that'd be, that'd be scary. Yeah, no, that's scary. That's, that's, that's Black Mirror that's shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> but this isn't that. Google is designing helium balloons to broadcast the internet to inaccessible locations. I think the idea is that they're able to control where the helium balloons go, so it's not like they send it up and then they go back down into the the ocean. Send it up. Someone Um, gets Wi-Fi. We don't know who. This brought to my attention that over half the world doesn't have internet access, and we think of the internet as something that everybody's on, everybody's aware of, everybody has the capability to get on the internet whenever we want, but that's yeah. still very much not true. Yeah. Um, there's already a company called Hyber that has done something similar to what Google is doing using shoebox-sized satellites, which they fly into low orbit. These are actually used in Antarctica um, by the British Antarctic Survey so that researchers down there have minimal access to the internet while they're there and they can communicate. Um, these satellites also orbit the Earth 16 times a day. So they're moving pretty quickly mm. elon musk this is, <laughs> that guy you might have heard of this congratulations on the birth of your son um is just, i just want to hear him say the name out loud i heard him in one interview where they were like can you pronounce the name for us and he literally just spelled it he was like well the x is x and the ae is ash and then a12 i'm like yeah but are you gonna call your baby x dash a12 every time like that's such a weird name. A12, I believe. Like, it's a reference to many things. It's the a, it's Archangel. A, yeah, Ar- Archangel. So people think his name is X-Ash Archangel. They're just not saying that. Yeah. Which would make sense. Anyway, he's designing a high-speed train known as the Hyperloop. This train would travel at 760 miles per hour through a vacuum tube. And just to be clear, that is the speed of a commercial jet. Mm-hmm. But it goes underground. The plan is to build a Hyperloop tunnel between L.A. and San Francisco. The train between these two cities typically takes seven and a half hours. Let's all remember how large California is for a second. Mm -hmm. Um, But this Hyperloop would get passengers between the two in 35 minutes. And no, it wouldn't be like a Gravitron where you're like sucked back against. Like it would be pressure controlled Mm -hmm. like an airplane. Like when you're in an airplane, except for maybe takeoff, you're not like leaning back the whole time, (laughs) (laughs) bracing yourself. I think I heard about this a couple years ago, but it was people were talking about it going from like Boston to New York to D.C. I mean, that would do it in minutes. Like those are closer together. Boston to New York is four hours. So that would be what 20 minutes Mm -hmm. and then new york to dc is probably another five that's 25 minutes like that's insane but i also can't imagine how expensive they are 
Oh, I bet. Um, train tickets are way too expensive. I, I'm they're so expensive. We don't need to get into it, but oh my god, it makes me so mad. Anyway, um, a company Chimera has designed a T-shirt that will effectively measure your heart rate and upload them via Bluetooth to the cloud. There are already T-shirts that measure your heart rate, but these are for more athletic purposes, like when you're running and you want to maintain. And this shirt is being designed for people with heart problems like if you have an irregular heartbeat mm-hmm. um if you're at risk for heart disease or a heart attack um so th- these are more medically significant as opposed to the watches that are for the sports people mm-hmm. the t-shirt is designed to catch irregularities and the ceo of this company tim brownstone said we envision developing this product to be used for clinical applications to allow those who may already suffer with heart conditions enough warning of a heart attack which i think is a nice invention British entrepreneur Arthur Kay has started a, co- a company called BioBean, which turns his coffee um, or his coffee waste into biofuels. I love this idea of turning coffee into a type of fuel, um, <laughs> considering how much like of we coffee. We drink so much coffee. We like, do. And also so much of it is wasted because yeah, you literally press ground, juice yeah. out of it and then like you just throw away the rest. So it's mostly waste. Yeah. So great idea. Thank you, Arthur Kay. Researchers at George Mason University have invented a sonic extinguisher for forest fires. This one is might be my favorite. Since sound is made up of pressure waves, it can be used to disrupt the air surrounding a fire, which cuts off the supply of oxygen to the fuel. So at the right frequency, the fire literally dies out. And they've discovered that bass frequencies work the best. So if you just shoot a bunch of bass at a fire, the fire will just die because, like, it kills the oxygen in the air. Oh. Isn't that crazy? And then we, we wouldn't s- waste so much water. Yeah, we have a lot of fires coming up, apparently. I, I was reading a thing the other day about how forest fires are going to uh, continue to be a problem. Oh, no. Like, the for- <laughs> like remember the fires in Australia? That was this year. Yeah, and there was one in the Amazon, too. Yeah, like... <laughs> yeah, that was in like January. What a year! Like, have you seen that one sketch that's been posted on Facebook a bunch of times? It's that like a girl like talking so to her yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yep. What do you think is the defining thing of 2020? Well, the fires in Australia. Oh yeah, you'd think. <laughs> oh yeah, that was this year. <laughs> oh man. Yep. So sonic extinguishers, really cool. At Tufts University, an AI figured out the regenerative the regenerative system of flatworms, which is a mystery that's eluded science for years. I'm going to once again tell Jane this disgusting fact. Oh, I Earth don't like this. Flatworms. <sighs> Cut them in half. They are two different worms. Cut off their head. They grow a new one. Like, no matter what they do, no matter what you do to them, they just grow back. Mm-hmm. And so scientists were like, what is that? Like, what is the cell? What is the quality of their cell? Why is their half-life like that? Like, what? Mm-hmm. how do we harbor that how do we figure that out? Like, what is that? Um, and they could never figure it out, but then an AI figured it out. And so because of this, this AI showed huge progress towards the development of a conscious computer. And it's having an AI that's figured this out makes it more likely that they'll be able to design an AI that can figure out other mysteries that we haven't quite Mm. solved yet. It's smart. I don't have any issue with the scientists being like let's study that and try and make technology from it it's literally just that initial fact of like why do they like that yeah. why are the worms like that no it's gross <laughs> the company worldview enterprises wants to send tourists into the stratosphere on hot air balloons the balloon would go 
only up to 32 kilometers in the sky and space is technically defined as 100 kilometers above sea level Mm -hmm. um but the this is their target height because at 32 kilometers you can see the curve of the earth um they're trying to disprove flat Mm. earthers (laughs) um however you and i are not going anytime soon a because of heights but b because a ticket would cost 75,000 pounds per person jeez yep UK scientists have developed a smart needle to speed up cancer detection. It's like a sensor, almost. Uh-huh. This so could- Grey's Anatomy stole that idea, is what you're saying. Richard Weber right now, Grey's Anatomy, is trying to invent a cancer-detecting pen that sounds exactly like that. Yeah, this is very similar. It would be particularly helpful in diagnosing lymphoma, which is normally a very time-consuming process mm-hmm. and can take many weeks up to a month. Um, so it would ease a lot of people's concerns Yeah. Um, in getting a faster diagnosis this needle shines a low power laser into the part of the body being inspected and can spot concerns within seconds Mm. there is a scientist back initiative called beach bums we love this one (laughs) um that wants to swab the rectums of surfers to see if seawater contains the key to develop new antibiotics using bacteria known as superbugs um they're targeting surfers because of the volume of time they spend Spend in in the the ocean And I'm sure there's a reason it has to be the rectum. It can't be their mouth, but... Or, like, their ear. Right. I'm sure there is a reason. I guess it's just because more bacteria gathers at your butthole. I don't know. I don't know. Um, But that's happening. (laughs) When I was reading this, I was like, I'm so glad I know that. (laughs) Researchers... It's a really clever name, though. It is! But, like, it's not less... It's not any less weird just because the name is clever. Researchers at Penn State University have been studying lithium-ion batteries used in electric vehicles um, because they have a they cannot last over time. They die pretty not quickly, mm-hmm. but they're not they're not known for their longevity. Um, to combat their deterioration, they have discovered that if lithium-ion batteries could heat to sixty degrees Celsius in only 10 minutes they would avoid heat damage and they would last a lot longer so they they have designed a self-heating battery that can be cooled using the car's system and that means that they could charge an electrical vehicle in 10 minutes so if solar roadways don't work out we are now going to have these (laughs) great batteries um this is also much better for the environment because disposing of batteries is really difficult um Mm -hmm. and i just know like whenever i I'm done with a battery. I, like, never want to throw it away because I feel bad. And they always have that weird substance coming out of them. You're yeah. like, that's toxic. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's, like, it's because of the toxicity of it. Like, they're very hard to dispose of. So making them last longer is going to be really good for the environment. Mm-hmm. This one, I think, is really cool as, from an accessibility standpoint. So expiration dates on food packaging um, are often very conservative so that companies can avoid legal action. So they'll often put it one or two weeks before it expires, just in case. Um, Mm. But this creates a lot of waste. On average, a person throws away 30 to 50% of the groceries that they purchase. I'm guilty of it. I'll get something that's close to its date and I'm like, I just don't trust it and I'll throw it away. Right. But it's good to know that like companies are very, very much underestimating. I always do a sniff test. (laughs) Like, does it smell okay? Mm. Especially, like, if it's, like, chips or something, I'm like, all right. When it comes to dairy products, I'm definitely more, or, like, proteins, things like that. I'm definitely more conservative, but it's a big problem. So, the Institution of Mechanical Engineers have developed what they call smart bump marks to go on food packaging. It was actually originally designed for people who are blind, and the label will start smooth on the package, but it becomes bumpier as food decays, um, and it becomes bumpier because it's, like, 
essentially, I think looking at the chemicals that are in the packaging created from the protein inside, it does require mm-hmm. like a live protein. Yeah. Um, and it will develop at the same rate as the food inside, making it more accurate than a printed date because it's specific to each individually packaged item. I thought that was like actually really useful as far as like some of these it's like okay that's cool but how is it going to affect me and this is like cool in terms of like how it affects all society yeah um Mercedes and Peloton are exploring the possibility of self-driving trucks this would allow inventory to move faster now we also brought up like what will happen to truck drivers even with self-driving cars they are still going to require a person to go with it a to fix repairs and also like yeah just to watch inventory make sure none of it's getting stolen the car's not getting hijacked so truckers could potentially become people that are going with the inventory which is also safer because like if you drive a truck like you are at risk for sleep deprivation Mm -hmm. um which makes you a more dangerous driver like there's a lot that truck drivers have to go through that's really difficult Mm -hmm. um so this could actually be like safer for them yeah phd student alec falkenham has developed a cream that uses your body's immune system to release the ink in a tattoo which Mm -hmm. is cheaper and less painful than laser removal which is like so weird yeah i remember you telling me about this last week and i still kind of feel the same that's like i'm glad like if someone gets a horrible tattoo that's such a mistake I'm glad that there's going to be a more painless way to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. But also, like, come on, people. Just don't go into a tattoo. No, like, you're just going to get rid of it. Not- I mean, there are so many articles out there that's, like, my bad tattoo yeah. whatever. Like, you literally never know what's going to happen. So, it's, yeah. It, it's, a thi- it's a thing that's happening. I don't know how important I find this invention, mm-hmm. but great. Scientists have found a way to attach artificial neurons to silicone chips. This could be used to treat conditions like heart failure and Alzheimer's. Um, Mm. And literally the chip would be like inserted into your body, very similar to the living robots, actually. But it's also important because neurons are so powerful that it would require very little additional power. So it's more energy efficient. Neurons are crazy. Neurons are nuts. (laughs) Good for you, neurons. (laughs) We stan. I did a... uh a project on neurons in like seventh grade and I remember being like these are insane guys <laughs> <laughs> oh boy architect Javier Ponce has designed a three-tiered structure with solar panels to provide energy to cities the idea is that these would be these really tall towers with solar panels at the top that would be interlocking and spread out throughout cities mm-hmm. um that is an answer to our growing population and potential food shortages i I guess that it's three tiers the middle tier grows vegetation using nutrients and liquid from rainwater and just from the air Mm -hmm. um and the bottom layer would then hold fish to be farmed so it's like the it's like a tiered system in that the top has solar power which also collects rainwater to go to the middle tier and the middle tier creates nutrients that feeds the fish below which if we're gonna be walking around with fish tanks everywhere i'm so sorry (laughs) i hope i I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> Eventually, I feel like you'll get used. It'll no. Be hard <laughs> I've been afraid. Okay, I used to. But, I also, but also, you avoid it like the plague. Like, if you, like, I, I'm forcing somebody to, like, be sensitized to something is never the option. Like, that's just cruel. But. No, you would think I would have gotten over it by now. Like, but no, I'm, like, I'm an adult and I can't go to grocery stores and I still can't, like, I've been to aquariums. I hate them. When I was a kid, I would look at, when we had science textbooks, I would feel anxious turning the pages in case there was, like, an underwater image. Like, I really don't think I'd be able to get used to it. Interesting. 
I think it would come at the cost of my sanity. This isn't an invention, but many studies have shown that a four-day work week actually increases productivity and could be in the near future. A shorter work week also cuts down on global carbon emissions as there are less people commuting to work every day, Mm -hmm. um, which would be cool. Russian scientist Sergei Zimov wants to create a 12,000-year-old environment in a wildlife park in Russia to house herbivores, uh, like bison. The park will also replace extinct megafauna, like mammoths, with modern hybrids. So they're, like, not going to Jurassic Park it, but they're going to, like, make the bison think that there are megafauna there. Uh-huh. Um, and then he's just going to study it and see what happens. <laughs> to be like, hmm. what would happen if we reverted? I don't know. I feel like we should learn our lesson. Or, like, can evolution, park. like adapt to such a thing again i don't know i don't know it's it's very it's a very weird environmental science experiment but if he wants to spend his money on this get some bison and let me know how it goes you know (laughs) did you know in buffalo they pronounce bison bison oh that's weird yeah when i lived in buffalo i was like what are y'all saying (laughs) it's not a z it's an s what did the buffalo say to his kid bye son bye son (laughs) (laughs) anyway that is everything on our very technologically savvy episode. Yeah. Stay tuned for the episode immediately after this, <laughs> um, which will tell you what those topics are after I tell you that you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at YKWIBW Podcast. You can check out our website, I've been wondering.com. If you like what you're hearing, you can donate to us on Anchor directly through the link in the bio of this episode, or please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. And finally, if you have something that you've been wondering, you can email us at I've been wondering podcast at gmail.com. Jane, you know what I've been wondering? <laughs> what have you been wondering, Sarah? Can't wait for you to tell me minutes from now <laughs> <laughs> about the history of K pop. Great. I am very excited to tell you about this. Mm-hmm. Sarah, do you know what I've been wondering? What? I've been wondering about the history and, like, rise to popularity of romance novels. I see. I see. Well, I will gladly tell you. Yeah. It's gonna be a swoon-worthy episode. Oh, it is. It really is. That is is everything. Thank you so much for listening. This is You Know What I've Been Wondering. 